Hey, we are talking traditions, old and new. VegCast. Here on VegCast 92. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, VegCast is back, and this time around we have not only a full menu but a plate full of delicious podcastry in which the flavors are blended into a coherent whole. This is our Thanksgiving 2010 show, and our featured guest is Dr. Neil Barnard of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, who will be talking about a new Thanksgiving tradition. Uh, which is actually a very old tradition, uh, which he wants to see applied specifically to Thanksgiving. And we'll be talking about how to do that and why to do that with him. We will also have a song from VegCast Faves, Him for Her, uh, which is two-thirds of Maggie Pierce and EJ, who you may also recall on previous VegCast. we got a new song from them. And we also have a tradition-oriented science fact uh, having to do with how far back in human history certain eating patterns do or do not go. So that's all going to be coming up and woven into a delicious, coherent whole. So please sit back, relax, and crank up your MP3 player as we deliver this 90-second All right, VegCast is brought to you by LightLife, makers of smart dogs, smart ground, and more. Visit them at lightlife.com. Veggie goodness for you and the planet. And Thanksgiving is a time that is always a special time for vegetarians and vegans uh, when those of us who try to pass as normal people the rest of the year are called out by the very fact that there is a holiday based around the imperative of consuming a large piece of dead animal that, uh, oddly, as Neil Barnard is going to point out, we don't seem to care about whether or not we consume during the rest of the year, but we absolutely must do so at Thanksgiving, and those who don't are oddballs and uh, potentially traitors. And the reason for that is that they are bucking tradition. Uh, So we're talking about tradition from a few different angles uh, today on this VegCast, and uh, one of them is uh, dates back to the actual first Thanksgiving, and Neil Barnard is going to be here to talk about uh, this tradition, uh, which may have been part of the first Thanksgiving, certainly has as much chances of being part of it as does Turkey itself, but which may be more apropos in the long run. And I wanted to get this out soon enough that if there were vegetarians and vegans out there still planning what you're going to be doing for Thanksgiving, well, maybe uh, you'll listen to this and adopt this new tradition that Neil Barnard is proposing. All right, right now on VegCast, we are pleased to welcome back to the show Neil Barnard of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Neil, thanks for coming back to VegCast. 
Well, it's great to talk with you again, Vance. And uh, I was just noting it's been five years since we last had you on. We had you on for one show talking about uh, your music group, and then we had you on as part of our, our wrap-up for uh, Thanksgiving 2005. And now we're here talking again about Thanksgiving, and uh, you have been talking about a, a kind of a new approach uh, that you're suggesting people take, which is actually not all that new. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. It's actually new to, to some people, but the truth is it's, it's ancient, and it's a, a terrific way to go. And basically, it's, uh, let's, let's just get right to the, uh, the protein of the matter, <laughs> uh, which is that uh, it's based uh, around the, the old Native American concept of the three sisters. And uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the cultural and moral aspects of it, but what, for people who are not familiar with this, what exactly is the Three Sisters? Yeah, um, actually, I have to say this was a completely new thing for me. Um, I was uh, on a radio program in Albuquerque, and it was a program uh, intended for a Native American audience. And I was asked to talk about our diabetes research, where we had used grains and beans and vegetables, a vegan diet for people with diabetes. And a caller said, you know, your diet of grains and beans and vegetables fruits, it sounds very much like the three sisters, which she, she said were corn and beans, and she couldn't remember the third one, so the host jumped in and said it's squash, corn, beans, and squash. Mm-hmm. And the two of them started talking about the concept of the three sisters like it was something everybody knew about. I had never heard of it. Um, so I started to look into it, and there is an ancient Native American tradition of planting corn, uh, not, just, not, not the way people plant it now, where it's acre after acre after acre of just corn, and it's mostly raised, unfortunately, nowadays as animal feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, hogs and cows and chickens are, are eating it. Um, back then, of course, it was for human consumption. Um, so you plant the corn. You plant beans right around the corn stalk, and so the bean vines use the corn as a trellis. But it's more than that. The beans are able to take nitrogen from the atmosphere, and they fix it in their roots, and corn happens to need a lot of nitrogen. So this, in this way, the beans take it from the air, and there's no requirement for nitrogen fertilizers. Then, uh, obviously, people use lots of pesticides and, and so forth. Well, as it turns out, they, they plant traditionally squash in and around the, the different plants, and the squash has broad leaves. That stops weeds from growing, or it inhibits them, and the spiny vines of the squash uh, stop the raccoons and other nocturnal nibblers from coming into your garden. Mm-hmm. So you need almost no weeding because the squash is there. You, need, you don't need to, to be too much uh, concerned about animals eating your garden, and you don't need fertilizer. So I started thinking, wait a minute, from a nutritional standpoint, this is brilliant because corn and beans are, if you put them together, it's very robust protein. Along with the um, squash, you get loads and loads of vitamins and fiber. It's just great. Secondly, from an environmental standpoint, what a terrific program. Um, you, you're not using fertilizers. You're not using pesticides. Uh, it's just a tremendous model. And so I thought, well, at Thanksgiving, maybe this is something we should revere because, after all, this is uh, a harvest celebration, too. So that, that's, that's the concept of the Three Sisters. It's spread all the way from 
corn really began getting cultivated in Mexico. It swept up through the through uh, North America and as far as Canada, of course. So it's quite a widespread system. Mm-hmm. And now, let me be sure I understand this. There is, I mean, it's not just planting the three things. There's actually a tradition in exactly the the pattern in which you plant them and everything. Uh, and we will we'll have a link uh, that will will go to that because it's it's hard harder to explain in audio format than visual. But um, when I mentioned this to somebody, they said, well, uh, yeah, but that you have to have fish in there. You, the Native Americans were always uh, planting with, with fish. And I said, well, I don't think that Neil Barnard, I know he did this himself, and I don't, I don't see him putting, putting fish in there. Uh, so is it, what's, what's the actual deal with this? Do we actually have to include fish in our, in our Thanksgiving feast? What's up with that? Well, no, you, you don't have to is the short answer. And, and also, Native Americans did not use fish, and they did not use manure, and they, did, they didn't do these things that white people do. Um, this whole idea of digging a hole and dumping a fish inside, um, first of all, if you actually tried doing that, you would discover that it's really extremely inefficient. I mean, how many fish are you going to pull together, and rather than eating the fish, you're going to stick them in the ground to grow corn with? Right. Um, it's tedious. It's ex- extremely wasteful. Native Americans didn't do it. The, the, where this um, mythology of dumping a fish in the hole got started, got planted in people's minds, it comes from, uh, there was a Native American named Squanto who helped the pilgrims. Um, he was at one point captured and returned to Europe, where he lived for a number of years, and then he came back to North America. And it's believed that he brought that um, idea back with him, of using these animal remains as fertilizer. But um, if you look around at the various tribes around the, the country, they're not doing that. So, no, you don't have to do that. And, uh, you know, this idea that you've got to use cow dung or chicken manure or something like that, that's something that comes from countries that have a whole lot of livestock that are producing a lot of manure, and you've got to figure out what can you do with it. Right. People have used it as cheap fertilizer. But let me tell you, in the deep forest, an oak tree does not wait for a squirrel to poop in order to grow. Um, these plants grow from the, from the remains, uh, botanical remains. You can think of it as compost, if you will. And what is manure? It's just compost that came through an animal's body. So there's no reason for these things. Um, I grew my own Three Sisters garden, which is so fun and easy to do. Um, and it grows just explosively. And you can... It's, it's, it's really fun for people who have been daunted by gardening up until now. Okay, and so what you're proposing is uh, we should uh, kind of center our, our Thanksgiving dinner around the Three Sisters. And uh, a lot of people initially, when they hear that, uh, would say, oh, wait a minute, that's going to be just so, you know, it's, it's not exciting. It's just some corn and some beans and some squash. But... Uh, I mean, are there are there a lot of different ways that you can do that, or do you have have you uh, experimented with that, or what? Yeah, yes, I have, and I think it's much more exciting because let's face it, when when people get together and there's a big dead bird in the middle of the table, um, some of the people, particularly everybody who's vegetarian around the table, is not very thrilled with it, and there really isn't anybody who thinks, oh boy, I get to eat turkey. Um, I, I know that it's a special time. We're glad to be with our families, and we're glad to watch football and maybe go out to the movies afterwards. But turkey is not so exciting that a person says at any other time of the year, why don't we go buy a turkey and cook it up? They, they don't really <laughs> like it that much. 
It's, at that time of year, it's just a tradition, and that is the only reason it's in the middle of the table. Um, the reason I like the Three Sisters concept is nutritionally it's great, environmentally it's great, but there's something else, too. I'm not really a terribly spiritually oriented person, but I have to say that in a world where aggression is so widespread, I'm talking about wars and human conflicts and prejudices and so forth, the Three Sisters has a little bit of a meaning that the turkey does not have. And the meaning is that you've got different plants, corn and beans and squash, that are very, very different. They're from completely different botanical classes, but they support each other. The corn gives the beans a leg up. The beans return the favor by fertilizing the soil. The squash protects all of them. And you can think of it as a little bit of poetry. And if there are kids there, you explain to them the symbolism of it, that once a year at this time of harvest, we're going to actually eat foods that demonstrate the concept of coexistence and getting along and living in harmony. And, and, and that's not a bad thing. Now, the meal itself, you start off with a bowl of hot butternut squash soup. Oh, man, you, there, there's nothing more delicious than that. If you want to put a little nutmeg or cinnamon or whatever on top, terrific. You can finish the meal with, with pumpkin pie. Everybody's happy with that. And in between time, if you want to have, there are three sisters casseroles where you start off by layering. Uh, you, you put actual corn husks down at the bottom, and you layer the corn, beans, and squash. And there are just wonderful ways of, of, of doing this. So you can have fun with it. Um, it's a whole new twist. And I think that if people really knew uh, about the environmental issues that are involved with raising so many turkeys, about how cruel it is to the birds and how bad it is for your coronary arteries, everybody would run screaming from it and, and embracing this much better way. So essentially you're, you're proposing replacing uh, the poultry at the center of the meal with poetry. I think nobody has ever put it better. Exactly, man. <laughs> okay, and just, I mean, when you did your presentation, I don't want to go too much into this, but uh, you had, um, there was a, a certain uh, amount of a moral component to this, too, given that uh, Thanksgiving is something that we're supposedly celebrating how the pilgrims got through this harsh winter uh, to be able to uh, continue and essentially found uh, what is now our country, um, but, you know, our, our way of celebrating it by going out and killing an animal is actually it kind of resonates with uh, some of the more unfortunate aspects of, of that history. And uh, you brought in a, a few surprising quotes, um, and I would just, it, we don't have to go into all of them now, but uh, did you, do you have anything to kind of summarize that aspect of it? Yeah, yeah, just real quick. Uh, William Bradford, who was the governor of the Plymouth plantation, these are the pilgrims came over, he left very extensive diaries, and he made it quite clear that, that these were sort of tender feet. These Europeans who came over to the new land, they had a lot of provisions, but they quickly ran out of things, and they would have starved, except the Indians, the, the Native Americans who were there, really kept them alive, and in some cases the pilgrims stole from the Native Americans. What they stole was uh, the, the Native Americans were very good at keeping stored corn, and dried squash and other things, but particularly corn. And uh, the white Europeans just took a bunch of it, and some of it they borrowed. And, and um, it wasn't that the Native Americans were bringing buffaloes to them or whatever. There was one celebration that was described where Native Americans did bring slaughtered deer and things like that. Um, and that's kind of the one that's stuck in people's minds for some reason. 
But um, if you look at the harvest celebrations that have, frankly, been going on both here and in Europe and, and so forth, uh, that's really not the theme. The theme is the plants have grown. They're now at the age where they can be harvested. And that's really kind of the center of it. And, and it, was, it was particularly corn that kept the pilgrims alive. But the other piece of it is uh, I have to say Europeans weren't so um, helpful in return. Uh, they drove the Native Americans out of their homelands. And without getting too much into the politics of it, I have to say that at least some observance and recollection of what has happened might not be a bad thing. And um, to, uh, to uh, observe this with an appropriate meal is a good thing, and there is nothing better than the Three Sisters. All right, well, we're almost out of time, uh, and I appreciate you uh, talking so extensively about the, the Three Sisters. Um, and it just uh, we jumped right into that uh, on the assumption everybody would know who Neil Barnard is, what Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is, but I just want to take a second here uh, to say, you know, you guys are, are doing some fantastic work out there with uh, getting uh, studies out to the public, uh, getting different health-oriented campaigns or anti-vivisection campaigns. Um, you're also uh, doing some pretty uh, out-there stuff uh, with McDonald's lately, right? Well, yes, but I have to say it's it, it's good for them to get the occasional reminder that their food is not healthy. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. we have been pushing McDonald's to uh, bring some healthier things under the Golden Arches, and until they do, it's I think it's a good idea to eat elsewhere. So any chance uh, McDonald's may be uh, incorporating the Three Sisters into their menu? Well, wouldn't that be nice? Sooner <laughs> or later. Maybe sometime. The fast food industry and the food industry in general has got to serve healthier foods. If they do not, we are never going to deal with the epidemics of overweight and obesity that are affecting not just adults, but children like never before. So let's hope that we can work together to have a healthier population. Great. All right. Well, Neil, I'll let you go. I know you got a lot to do uh, down there in Washington and uh, all over the country. So uh, I'm going to wish you a happy Thanksgiving, and thanks again for joining us again on VegCast. Thank you, Vance. Great to talk with you.
Him for her, H-Y-M-N, for her with Sangre. And that is off of their new album, Lucy and Wayne and the American Stream. American spelled with an air in the middle. I suppose to go with stream, to make airstream. They uh, recorded most of this uh, on the road uh, in a trailer, so I'm, I'm assuming there. But uh, you can find out more. Just go to the link in our show notes. You'll find out more about him for her. But now it's time to find out more about the science fact. Our science fact for VegCast 92. Bread was around 30,000 years ago. This is a story from Reuters uh, from last month. Starch grains found on 30,000-year-old grinding stones suggest that prehistoric man may have dined on an early form of flatbread, contrary to his popular image as primarily a meat eater. And let's just uh, stop right there to say, yes, it is common practice to uh, traditionally refer to uh, human beings as man. But in the course of this science fact, we may see why things that are traditional practice may not be the best. But I will continue reading this as written. The findings published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences Journal on Monday indicate that Paleolithic Europeans ground down plant roots similar to potatoes to make flour, which was later whisked into dough. It's like a flat bread, like a pancake with just water and flour, said Laura Longo, a researcher on the team from the Italian Institute of Prehistory and Early History. 
The article also says the researchers said their findings throw mankind's first known use of flour back some 10,000 years. And it goes on to say the findings may also upset fans of the Paleolithic diet, which follows earlier research that assumes early humans ate a meat-centered diet, also known as the caveman diet. The regime frowns on carbohydrate-laden foods like bread and cereal, and modern-day adherents eat only lean meat, vegetables, and fruit. And we have another study in today's Science Fact, which I will also uh, read a summary of. This one just comes out today as this VegCast is going online. Study refutes butchery marks on ancient animal bones. Now, you may have heard about uh, this study that came out over the summer suggesting that humans had used tools to butcher animals uh, a million years or so earlier than previous thought. So it was obvious that meat eating was much earlier in human history and much more uh, intensively ingrained in our human nature. Uh, but a recent study, this explains, may have prematurely concluded that ancestral human butchers made cuts in 3.4 million-year-old animal bones unearthed in Dekika, Ethiopia, according to another team of researchers. The original findings reported by the Dekika Research Project suggested, suggested that the early human ancestors made famous by the Lucy skeleton butchered meat nearly a million years before stone tools are thought to have emerged. Manuel Dominguez Rodrigo and colleagues, however, find that the purported tool marks are likely scratches caused by animals trampling across the bones, which at some point were buried in shallow, sandy soil. The researchers compared the DRP's findings with previous studies that have examined natural processes such as trampling, which often leave marks on fossil surfaces that can be mistaken for tool marks. According to the authors, most of the purported tool marks on the Dekika bones can be explained by the trampling and geological abrasion and do not warrant revising the consensus timeline of human behavioral evolution. Uh, and that's good. It says human behavioral evolution rather than man's behavioral evolution. Uh, because you know what? It's 2010. It's almost 2011. I think it's about time uh, that we moved on from our tradition of uh, referring to humans as man. And uh, the reason that I put these two studies together, obviously, is because they have a bearing on uh, using the appeal to tradition, which is one of the last remaining arguments that meat eaters and people who consume animal products have. Oh, it's traditional. And, of course, it does come up uh, every Thanksgiving. You have to have the turkey because that's what your mother did. That's what your grandmother did. That's what uh, everybody has always done <laughs> back to the caveman days, uh, apparently. And it is not within the scope of VegCast's own scientific knowledge or inquiry to state what early human ancestors did or did not eat, whether they were primarily carnivorous, omnivorous, herbivorous, or what. Uh, but the point that I would like to make is that the appeal to tradition 
is uh, completely bogus when it uh, is brought to bear on modern-day living because, of course, there are many, many ways in which we do not live like cavemen, so to speak. Uh, For one thing, uh, we in the Western world are nowhere near as active. Uh, We do not expend as many calories as our ancestors did. So right there, that suggests that uh, we're probably going to have to have a different makeup in uh, the caloric content of our food uh, and perhaps in the exact nutrient makeup of our food. Uh, But more generally, the whole concept that we should do something because humans did it way back when. Humans, of course, uh, for a long period in our history have enslaved other humans, have uh, taken women as objects to be owned, to be raped, to uh, propagate the species at the will of men. Uh, Of course, all this uh, warfare, all these things that date back millions of years into antiquity, uh, you don't hear them being argued for on the basis, well, we did it way back when, so that somehow makes it Uh, relevant to today. And I would say that when you're around the Thanksgiving table uh, and that argument comes up, why, please feel free to share this science fact. You know, I was listening back to that, and I said we don't hear this appeal to tradition being made in the case of warfare and slavery and so forth, and that's inaccurate. I have actually heard uh, occasionally that uh, argument, if you can call it that, being made. I guess I should have specified uh, we don't credit it uh, because it's idiotic. And uh, so we shouldn't credit it when it comes to uh, eating animals or enslaving animals or anything else. And while we're on the subject of uh, tradition and food, uh, a major expose came out uh, a little over a week ago in the New York Times about the USDA and Uh, the way that the agency that is funded by our taxpayer dollars actually is working with uh, retailers of junk food to get Americans to eat more cheese. Uh, And I'm just going to include that in the show notes for anybody who has missed it so far. It's not a uh, huge shock to those of us who have been following the shenanigans of the USDA. But it uh, the depth of depravity in uh, coming up with new products that have uh, four, five, six, or eight times as much cheese in them uh, to push on American consumers who, of course, are addicted to cheese, uh, which is an addictive product, as Neil Barnard himself uh, has gone into at great length uh, and early on before uh, a lot of other people came around and acknowledged that. So um, it, it's something that people are already addicted to, and uh, the USDA is pushing more of it on us in uh, in a situation where it's just absurd given the amount of cholesterol and uh, saturated fat that is concentrated as well as the amount of milk that uh, belongs to baby calves that has to be stolen and concentrated in order to make cheese, uh, as well as, of course, the environmental degradation that goes along with that. That's what our tax dollars are actually paying for, to, uh, to get rid of more cheese because 
the dairy conglomerates need to make a higher profit, uh, and they're producing too much of it and have to get rid of it somewhere. So uh, that's a pretty egregious situation, and uh, the way that ties in with tradition is that the USDA has a mandate uh, that dates back about 100 years that uh, needs to be overhauled and replaced, and the fact that they've been operating this way for 100 years, uh, both supposedly looking out for Americans' health by giving us dietary guidelines and dietary advice, and at the same time pushing agricultural products, promoting them, uh, which in practice turns out to pretty much just be meat and dairy, uh, pushing that on people. The two missions are in direct conflict with each other, and uh, it this story just pretty much illustrates that in sharp relief. And hopefully there will be a stronger call now to uh, break out that mission. Let the USDA either be uh, something that is going to be funded by the meat and dairy industry and go ahead and promote them, or be something that serves the public interest and be funded by the public. So I hope we can look forward to that, and I hope that all of my listeners out there can look forward to a great Thanksgiving and uh, I hope somebody will uh, give the three sisters a try. We're going to definitely incorporate it into our own Thanksgiving meal. And let us know here at VegCast.com uh, how that goes. And in the meantime, that is about it for VegCast 92. All right, I would like to thank our sponsor, Light Life. Light Life makes eating veggie deliciously easy. Join us, they say, and be pro-veggie. And I would also like to thank the pro-veggie Neil Barnard of PCRM for coming on and talking about the three sisters. And I would also like to thank Maggie of Maggie Pearson EJ and him for her for sending a song great to play on this Thanksgiving show. And, of course, I am thankful for all my VegCast listeners out there, you can subscribe at iTunes. And until next time, get out there and live like you mean it. Veg-cast.